Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we love you, we worship you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you that you are a gracious and caring God, a God who desires a close relationship with your, creativity, with your creation, a God who desires to draw us into your presence, to touch our hearts and our lives, and most importantly, desires for us to experience your salvation and your atonement. Father, I pray that you move mightily in our midst this morning, that you speak into our hearts and our lives, that it be your word heard, your voice heard, your word received. And Father, that nothing of me be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. All right, as I was telling you during Q&A this morning, um, Leviticus, uh, just a quick poll of hands. How many find the book of Leviticus generally rather boring uh, and monotonous, tedious, right? Uh, sacrifice this and slaughter that and, and wear this and do that. It, Leviticus becomes boring and tedious and monotonous, but... The beauty about the book of Leviticus is that uh, if we can get past ourselves, if we can get past our own uh, inabilities to be able to focus on something, I, my wife will tell you, uh, I can't focus on anything for long. I'm going to go Tuesday morning for a couple of MRIs, and I'm not claustrophobic. I could care less about the tubes. That doesn't bother me, but I'm trying to figure out how in the world I'm going to be able to stay still because I can't at all. For any reason, I cannot stand still at all, as you can tell. I can't say I can't stand still standing still. Um, and so uh, I, I get easily distracted just in general. Um, and you know, I, when I'm praying, I can't just sit there with my eyes closed and talk to the Lord. I have to physically write my prayers out so that I have something else I'm focusing on while I'm praying to help me focus on praying and, and seeking the Lord's face. And when I'm reading, um, I, have to, I have a system that I use when I'm reading the Word so that it helps me keep focused because I know otherwise I'm going to be off in left field. And, and Leviticus is, is definitely for me one of those books that there is just so much meat there's so much beauty, there's so much that directs us to the realities of who Yeshua is as our Messiah, as our sacrifice lamb, as our high priest, as our king, and so on and so forth, that we have to learn as believers how to get past the humanity that, that exists within us and focus on the word of the Lord, because I think a lot of times we forget that it is in the word of the Lord, even those parts that we don't want to read, that we don't like to read, that we may get bogged down in, that the Lord tends to have the biggest messages for our hearts and our lives. Um, it's in those moments when we may get distracted that the, the enemy wants to use those distractions to keep us from receiving from the Lord. And so Leviticus is one of those, those books that, look, it's going to come around every single year. If you're in a Messianic Jewish synagogue, if you're in a traditional synagogue, this book's going to come around every year. You might as well get used to it now that you're just going to have to read it at least once a year and, and work your way through it. Thankfully, if you follow the, the Parsha cycle, you're only reading a couple of chapters at a time, break it up over the course of the week. It makes it a little easier. But Take the time to dig into the Parsha. Take the time to dig into Vaikra, the book of Leviticus, and really understand what the Lord is talking about because there's so much weight and glory in these words that the Lord is wanting to use to benefit us. So if you have your scriptures, open up Leviticus chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now Adonai called to Moses and spoke to him out of the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to B'nai Israel and tell them, When any one of you brings an offering to Adonai, you may present your offering of livestock 
from the herd or from the flock. I want to stop right there for a second. The very beginning of this parsha, it says, And the Lord called out to Moses from where? From the Ten of Meetings, from the Mishkan, from the tabernacle. Why is this important? Because we know that last week, as we read the end of the book of Exodus, that the tabernacle was completed, the priestly garments were completed, that the presence of the Lord descended upon the tabernacle, the cloud of fire and smoke uh, descended upon the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, and the nation of Israel witnessed this and saw it happen. And they realized, they witnessed that man could no longer go into the Holy of Holies because the presence of the Lord was there. And we find out later on the high priest can do so, Leviticus 16, we dig into that some about Yom Kippur and when he can go in. But we realize that as we progress through this, we see Israel is at Mount Sinai. They hear the audible voice of the Lord. Moses goes up to get the rest of the Torah because Israel said, we can't handle the voice. It's too much for us. We're going to die. You go get it. Moses spends a little too much time on the mountain. Israel gets uncomfortable because they don't know what's going on. They get upset. Israel tells Aaron, the high priest, to build them a, 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 an idol, a golden calf that will be their God to, that led them out of, out of uh, Israel. God gets upset because Israel sins. That's a pretty big sin, right? You shall have no other gods before me. It's one of the top ten. That's a pretty big one. Uh, and so, so as we look at this, we realize that God's upset because Israel sins. Uh, Moses then mediates on their behalf, cries out to the Lord for forgiveness, tells God, look, we don't want to go anywhere if your presence doesn't go with us. The Lord says he's going to go with Israel, and so on and so forth. The tabernacle then gets built. Moses is our Aaron's clothing and garments for the priestly service are built or are made and manufactured and the priesthood is put into place. And then we see the presence of the Lord reside. And the very next thing is after the presence of the Lord resides on the tabernacle before the nation, the Lord speaks forth from the tent of meetings, from the Mishkan, from the tabernacle to Moses. So now we're back where we were. We're back with the tabernacle's establishment. We're back with the beginnings of the proceedings of the tabernacle and what would in the future become the proceedings for the temple. And this book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus contains roughly, I think it's 55% of all of the commandments held in the Torah. Roughly 55% of all of the commandments in the Torah and in the book of Leviticus. And an overwhelming majority of them deal with the service of the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, the priesthood, and the tabernacle itself and how to handle uh, what's going on there. So as we look at all this, what we realize is the book of Leviticus, being we believe as, as a Messianic Jewish congregation, we believe that Yeshua is the promised Messiah, right? He came to die for our sins as our final atonement. We should probably read Leviticus to understand what that means. What is atonement in God's eyes? How does atonement work in God's eyes? The Lord speaks forth. It's a very important message. He speaks from, forth from the, the tent of meetings, from the tabernacle, from the Mishkan to tell Moses, to tell Israel, speak to B'nai Israel and, to, and tell them, when any of you brings an offering to Adonai, you may present your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. As we read through this, and I'm going to just give you a quick snapshot of some of this. As we read through this Parsha, we realize that there are five different types of sacrifices that are mentioned in Parsha Vayichra. First is the Olah, and you can read about it from Leviticus 1, 1 through 17. So basically, all of Leviticus 1 is dealing with the Olah offering. The Olah is an ascending offering, an ascension offering. This was a free will offering, a free will sacrifice that was consumed entirely by the fire on the altar. The sacrificial victim or the animal must be an animal or a bird that is without defect. Notice the animal is the sacrificial victim, not the person bringing the offering, okay? Don't think we put people on the altar. That's wrong. Um, as the animal is slaughtered, the Kohen catches or the priest catches the blood in a pan and sprinkles it on the altar. The animal is then cut up, salted, and entirely burned. Normally, a smicha or laying on of hands 
um, with the, the proclamation of the Vidui or the confession of sin accompanies the sacrifice, though in the case of the bird ola, uh, the, the offering of a bird, um, it's not necessary to perform the smichar, the, the Vidui, the proclamation of the confession of sin. The second we read about is Leviticus 2, 1 through 16, so all of Leviticus 2, and it's the michar offering or the meal offering. This was a free will offering as well. It was a free will offering of flour prepared with fine flour, olive oil, and frankincense, usually brought by a person of modest means. Part of the mill offering is burned on the altar, and the remaining part is eaten by the Kohanim or the priests. The word mincha means gift. Note that any flour offering must be baked quickly to prevent the dough from rising. In other words, it must be unleavened. It must be matzah. Uh, like the animal sacrifices, the mincha offering must also be salted. Uh, the shalamim, or the, the shalom offerings, the peace offerings, it's Leviticus 3, 1 through 17. This was a free will offering as well. It was eaten by the one who brings the offering. So if I were to bring a shalom offering, a peace offering to the tabernacle, once the whole process of its slaughter is done, I am able to take part in eating of that offering. Uh, it's given as a way of expressing thanks to God on joyous occasions. Smicha is performed, though, instead of the Dewey, instead of the confession of sin, uh, a proclamation of praise to the Lord is offered, praising Him for His provision. Uh, the chatat, or the sin offering from Leviticus 4, 1 through 31. This was a, uh, a chove, a required offering to bring, uh, a chuvah, sorry, a required offering to bring, uh, to make atonement for certain sins committed unintentionally by an individual, by the high priest, the entire community, the king, or the ordinary Jew. So literally anyone. It doesn't matter if you have sinned, this is your offering. Uh, note that there is no explicit sacrifice for deliberate, intentional, and willful sin against the Lord, but instead punishment by an early death. And we're going to pause there for a second because I think this is important for us to understand. There are sacrifices that God prescribes for unintentional sins. In other words, if you hurt somebody unintentionally, if you are pushing, you know, if your ox is pulling their cart down the road and it runs over their foot, you hurt them on accident, right? That wasn't intentional, um, and, and so you can bring specific offerings for that. If you um, uh, make an oath just randomly without thinking about it and break that oath, it's unintentional. You didn't mean to break that oath. It's unintentional. There are sacrifices for unintentional sins. But if you just outright intend to harm somebody, if you outright intend to damage the image of God, remember I've told you my base this, uh, definition of sin is anything that we do that diminishes the image of God, all right? Not even getting down to the nitty-gritty of what is or isn't a sin. Anything that we do that diminishes the image of God in our lives is a sin because we are created in His image and likeness. The purpose of our existence is to shine the light of, of God, the light of Messiah into the world around us. And anything that we do that diminishes that is wrong. It is a sin. It is harmful to our relationship with God, and we need to repent for it. And so as we look at this, if it's an unintentional sin, there is sacrifice for it. There is atonement that can be made. But for intentional sins, especially intentional sins against God, there is no prescribed sacrifice. There's no prescribed method of receiving atonement. That doesn't mean atonement cannot be received. But as we look through Scripture, we do not see God go, oh, by the way, here's a sacrifice you can make when you intentionally, when you outright go against something I've called for you, when you outright choose to harm your relationship with me or, to, or that with other people. The fifth and final sacrifice we read in this Parsha is the asham, or the guilt offering. Uh, it's from Leviticus 4.32 through 5.19. The asham is a chovah, a required offering as well as part of the penit penitence uh, 
required for certain improper acts, retaining another's property by swearing falsely uh, as an example. In each case, the wrongdoer are required to restore the property plus an additional 20% to its rightful owner before he could offer the sacrifice and receive forgiveness. This Parsha in Leviticus tells us if you harm somebody, if you steal somebody's uh, goods, if you take their animals, if you do whatever, you take something of somebody else's uh, or harm them in any way whatsoever, there is a sacrifice that can be made uh, for atonement for that, but first you've got to restore that relationship. You've got to restore the harm that you've done. This is important for us to understand because we know in the Gospels that Yeshua says if you're bringing an offering to the temple and your heart's not right with your brother, you leave that offering at the door, you go back and you fix that relationship. And everybody, and I said this during Q&A when I briefly mentioned this, everybody looks at that and goes, wow, mind blown, that's awesome. Like if we're going to truly let our lives be a living sacrifice before the Lord, if we're going to truly offer our hearts to the Lord, the Lord says, oh, we, first we need to go fix this relationship. That's mind blowing. Why did God never say that before? But he did. In Leviticus, if we just read the Bible, we'll understand that he said that before and that Yeshua wasn't saying something new. He was realigning our hearts and our minds with what he had already said. He was realigning. The gospel wasn't to yank us away from the Torah or to yank us away from the prophets or to yank us away from the writings. The gospel wasn't to yank us away from Judaism. The gospel wasn't to yank us away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The gospel was to realign us with what the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had already said and had already said he was going to do and to realign our hearts with that rather than specifically and solely with the traditions of men. That's not to say traditions are bad by any means. As a matter of fact, we look at the disciples and even to a degree Yeshua and we see that for intents and purposes, he was, they were very much Pharisaic Jews. And Pharisaic Judaism was slapped full of all sorts of traditions. And so traditions are not necessarily bad so long as we understand the word of God is what's most important. And if that tradition uh, contradicts the word of God, we wipe it out because we're not going to contradict the word of God. And so as we look at this, what we see is that, that Yeshua is realigning our hearts, realigning our minds with what his word already said, which is if you have a problem with your brother, if you've done something to harm them, or they, even if they've done something to harm you, fix that relationship before you come to me because if you come to me first, then we're not able to fully be in relationship because there's something blocking that relationship that I want to have with you. There's something blocking that experience of my presence in your life that I want you to experience. So fix that relationship, fix that and take care of it. That's why when we say uh, what's often called the Lord's Prayer, we say your will be done on heaven and earth. Uh, forgive us our sins as we have also forgiven those who sinned against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we've also forgiven those who have trespassed us. Who are we to go to God asking him to forgive us if we haven't shown the same grace and mercy we expect from God to our neighbor? to our brother, to our parents, to our friends, to whoever. Note that the sin offering, the chathat and the asham, were chovar, obligatory for atonement to be made. They had to be offered by the anointed high priest who would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice seven times inside the mishkan uh, or the tabernacle uh, on the golden altar opposite the perchet or the curtain before the holy of holies. The, uh, the fat was burned on the altar, but unlike the offer, other offerings, the rest of the animal, its hide flesh and its body parts, would be taken outside the camp to be burned with fire. This is a vitally important realization because as we look at the, part, as we look at the sacrifices, we realize that sacrifices that were free will offerings, that were free will sacrifices, peace offerings, meal offerings, these were all consumed either by fire or at the tabernacle, but the sacrifices for sin, the two sacrifices mentioned here, dealing with sin, unintentional sin against God or unintentional sin against others or any sin against others, 
these could not be fully burned up in the tabernacle. There were parts of it that were. The, the sacrifice, the slaughter, the blood draining would be done at the tabernacle. The blood of that sacrifice would be sprinkled on the altar. The fat around the organs of the animal would be burned up entirely on the altar. But the actual animal itself had to be taken outside of the camp to be burned. Why? Because that atonement is a destruction of that sin, right? And sin cannot exist within the, the, the community of Israel because the presence of God cannot exist within the community or within the, the presence of sin. So that sin had to be removed from the community and destroyed out there. It wasn't specifically destroyed inside the community. And part of that was because the word tells us that the sin of one person can ruin the entire community, right? Just look at the body of Messiah around us. How many congregations, how many churches have fallen because of the sin of one person, Right? How many people's lives have been damaged because of the sin of another? The sin of one person can ruin the entire community. It's important that we understand how valuable these sacrifices are, how important they were, and how they point us directly to Messiah Yeshua. Verse 20 of chapter 5 of Leviticus says, Then out and I spoke to Moses, saying, Suppose anyone sins and commits a faithless act against Adonai by dealing falsely with his neighbor in a matter of a deposit or a pledge of hands or through robbery or has extorted from his neighbor or has found that, was, that what was lost and lied about swearing falsely so sinning in one of any of these things that a man may do then it will be when he has sinned and has become guilty that he must restore what, the, what he took by robbery or what he got by extortion or the deposit that was committed to him or what was lost that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely he is to restore it in full and add a fifth part more to it. But uh, he must give it to the one to whom it belongs. On the day of presenting his trespassing, trespass offering, he is to bring his trespass offering to Adonai, a ram without blemish from the flock, according to your value for a trespass offering to the Kohen. The Kohen shall make atonement for him before Adonai, and he will be forgiven concerning whatever he may have done to become guilty. Again, I want to hone in on this. We cannot ask God to forgive us our sins, our trespasses, our mistakes, whatever you want to call them, if we're not also extending the same grace and mercy to others. Whether it's somebody that we've hurt going back to repair that relationship or somebody that has hurt us and going back and repair that relationship. Now keep in mind, be perfectly honest with you, doesn't mean you have to have a relationship with them still. All right? Somebody that's toxic is going to be toxic whether you guys are okay or not. All right? And when it's that kind of a relationship, when it's that kind of a person that they're just toxic and they're going to continually draw, go back and, and if you hurt them or they hurt you, just flat out say, look, you hurt me, I hurt you, all's forgiven, cool, and walk away. Knowing that that relationship is okay, but don't keep trying to have a relationship in those environments. Not having a relationship is not wrong. Having a relationship that's going to hurt us more is absolutely wrong. But we cannot expect forgiveness, grace, and mercy from our Heavenly Father if we're not willing to extend the same to those around us. Remember the, the parable in the Gospels about the guy who uh, his, his um, uh, accounts were forgiven, and then immediately he left from uh, his master who was holding his accounts. He leaves from him, and he goes and beats somebody up for not paying him the money that was owed to him. And the, the rich guy goes, hey, you're going to go to prison until you take care of this, because that's ridiculous. I didn't treat you like that. Why are you treating them like that? The Lord is the King of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He has forgiven our sins. He is willing to forgive any more we may make. But he expects us to extend the same grace and mercy to those around us. These sacrifices that we read about in Leviticus, they may seem boring. They may seem tedious. They may seem monotonous. They may seem uh, hard to work our way through in a process. 
But the reality is, is each one of them points us directly to the purpose of Messiah. Think about the fact that Yeshua died as our atonement sacrifice, but he couldn't die at the courts of the temple. He had to die outside of the tabernacle, outside of the temple. He had to die. He had to be killed for our sins in the same means that a sin sacrifice would have been, which is taken outside. His body could not be destroyed inside the, ta- the temple. It had to be destroyed outside. We look at Messiah as our, our atonement and the difference between the atonement of the sacrifices that were made inside the tabernacle and the temple and that of Messiah Yeshua. Messiah's sacrifice even forgives and atones for intentional sins. Those times that you curse God because things didn't go the way you hoped they would. Those times that you cursed your parents because they didn't treat you the way you wanted to be treated. Those kind of times that you cursed your boss because you didn't get away with murder. Hopefully that's not literal. Hopefully that's it's between you and God. If it is, I'm not asking you to confess at the moment. We'll talk later. Um, but, but those times where we intentionally harm people, we intentionally do things against God, we intentionally destroy our relationship with God, those sins are also forgiven by the blood atonement of Messiah, unlike the blood atonement provided in the tabernacle and the temple. And Isaiah, in our Haftarah Parsha, Isaiah 43, verse 20, God makes some pretty strong accusations against Israel. Uh, and we're going to back up a few verses uh, a verse that the, the Parsha starts in 21. We're going to go back to 20. It says, The filled animals honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give water in the desert rivers and the wilderness to give drink to my chosen people, the people I formed for myself, so they might declare my praise yet. And he says, so the, the jackals, the ostriches, the animals that filled, they praise me for providing for them. He goes, but yet you have not called on me, Jacob, for you have been weary of me, Israel. You have not brought me sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I did not compel you to serve offerings, nor weary you with incense, which is true. God told us these things had to be done for the forgiveness of sin, right? But he didn't compel us to sin that they're necessary, right? The fact that we have to do these things, the fact that when the tabernacle and the temple were standing before Messiah's sacrifice, we had to make these atonement sacrifices, it wasn't because God wanted us to. God would prefer that we stayed in the garden, kept our mouths shut, and did what we were told but we didn't, right? Kind of like we would prefer our kids would keep their mouth shut and do what they're told. They're not going to. Uh, <laughs> but the, the Lord says, look, it's, I didn't ask, want you to do this. I didn't compel you to do this. And he goes on, he says, verse 24, you have not spent money buying me aromatic cane, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. Rather, you burdened me with your sins, wearied me with your iniquities. I am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and will not remember your sins. Remind me, when we argue our case together, state your case so you may be proved right. Your first father sinned or Adam sinned. Your mediators, all of the prophets, rebelled against me. So I profaned the sanctuary officials and gave Jacob over to destruction and Israel to scorn. The Lord says, your first father, Adam, sinned. Each of you have sinned. Those who were supposed to mediate between me and you, uh, Moses and Aaron and the high priests and the prophets, they all sinned. I didn't ask you to sin. I didn't want you to sin. I didn't want you to live damaged lives. I didn't want you to damage others' lives. But you did it anyways. And you didn't do the proper things I called for. You didn't bring these sacrifices as you were supposed to. And even when you did, your heart wasn't right. How many of us have turned to the Lord asking for forgiveness, knowing good and well we could frankly care about the person that we may have hurt? Knowing good and well we haven't actually tried to walk away from that evil way, right? Chronicles tells us when you have walked away from those evil ways, when you have walked away from sin, we cry out for forgiveness and we just keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. The Lord says, I didn't ask of that from you. 
And every time you bring me an offering, every time you bring me a sacrifice, every time you ask for atonement and forgiveness, you're profaning my name and my house and everything about me because your heart's still not right. You haven't allowed me, you haven't allowed me to completely inhabit your heart and change you from the inside. Verse 1 of chapter 44, but now listen, Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen, thus says Adonai, who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Do not fear, Jacob, my servant Jeshurun, my whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry grounds. I will pour my spirit on your offering and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up among the grass like willows of flowers, of, of flowing streams. This one will say, I am Adonai. That one will be called by the name of Jacob, by the name Jacob, and another will write on his hand Adonai and will take the name Israel. The Lord says, Look, even though you have done this, don't worry. I'm still going to draw you back into myself. The, the overwhelming promise we read about in Isaiah and Jeremiah, even as the Lord says he's going to destroy Israel because of our sins, the overwhelming promise over and over and over again is, but I will draw you back to myself if you will only repent and come back to me. Verse 6 says, Thus says Adonai, Israel's king and his redeemer, Adonai Zebaot, I am the first and the last, and there is no God beside me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and announce it. Let him arrange it in order for me as established the, uh, as I established the ancient nation. Let them declare to them what is coming and future events. Do not dread or be afraid. Have I not told you and declared it long ago? So you are my witness. Is there any God beside me? Is there any rock? I know of none." The Lord says, I am the one that forgives sin. Even when you have to bring this sacrifice, even when you have to ask for atonement, even when you have to ask for forgiveness, you're not doing it because I wanted it, but I am willing to forgive. I am willing to, 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 to bear the weight of that burden and to, to forgive your sins and to cleanse you and to make you new and to restore you. And the Lord goes on and on and on over and over again throughout his word to promise that he is going to restore us. As we look at these, at these uh, Torah parshot, as we look through the book of Leviticus and we see about these different sacrifices and the way that they're made, even down to Yom Kippur in Leviticus 16 and reading about how the priest has to enter the Holy of Holies over and over again on that day. I think it's five times in that one day that he has to enter the Holy of Holies and every time he does, he has to go through a mikvah and immersion and put on different garments and go in and take care of business and come back out. It's five times he's risking his life for the nation of Israel, for you and I, for the people of the, the nation of Israel, for his his own household, for the tabernacle itself, and so on and so forth, as he attempts to make atonement for Israel. Think about the fact that we serve a king and high priest who is far greater than Aaron, a king and high priest who not only offered his life as a sacrifice and atonement for us, but he only entered the Holy of Holies once. And it wasn't the Holy of Holies here on earth, but it was the Holy of Holies in heaven. And just like he says in Isaiah, but listen, I'm the one that blots out your sins. I'm the one that forgives your trespasses. I am the one that makes right what you have made wrong. And I don't do it for your sake. I do it for my own. I do it for my own name and for my own glory. Moses, when Israel sinned with a golden calf, Moses' response when God said, I'm going to destroy them and start fresh with you, Moses' response was, what's the nations going to think? What are the nations around going to think of what you just did? How are they going to serve you? How are they going to love you if they see that you destroy Israel? Your only chosen ones, your firstborn, how are they going to see you and to trust you? And Lord, the Lord repents of that. I don't mean repent in the sense of the, that God has to repent, but he, he changes his wording and decides not to slaughter Israel uh, for that particular sin. And, and we see everything that transpires from there, but it's important for us to realize that the Lord doesn't do it for you and I. He doesn't. 
That forgiveness and atonement is given freely to us, but it's not, it's not something He does for you and I. It's something He does because He is great, because He is awesome, because He is loving, because He is caring, because He loves you and I, because He wants a relationship with you and I. It's not because, look, let's be honest. We cannot be so vain and so arrogant and so proud of our own selves to think that God needs us. He doesn't need us. God existed before anything in creation ever existed. Creation exists because of Him. He doesn't need us. He wants us. He desires us. He loves us. He cherishes us. He is our groom that is constantly drawing us into himself. He is our groom that is constantly showering his love and his grace and his affection on us. He is constantly wooing us. And we're constantly giving him the big middle finger. Because we're constantly breaking his heart. We're constantly sinning, but he's always there waiting. And it's not because of you and I, because he knows our hearts. He knows who we are. He knows we are fallen and short of the glory. But he also knows that if we just fully surrender. Paul says that bride, the, the bride, the, the wife is the lover, uh, is to uh, wholly submit to her, to her groom, that she's to, to wholly submit to him. But then he goes on to say, and grooms, husbands, love your wife as Messiah, love the body right? The Lord loves us. He cherishes us. He, he woos us constantly. How is that bride, how is that wife ever, ever going to want to submit to her husband, to show that love and affection if she knows he's not willing to lay his life down for her, if she knows that he's not willing to give his all for her, if she knows that he doesn't actually want that kind of a relationship with her? But the Lord does, and he is that husband that is constantly laying his life. He gave his only begotten son that you and I could have eternal life in his midst because the sins of humanity overwhelmed what the tabernacle could do in terms of fulfilling forgiveness for our sins and atonement for our sins. It was never meant to actually atone for our sins. It was meant to point us to Messiah. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, the Torah has a, this is verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 10, the Torah has a shadow of the good things to come, not the form itself of the reality. In other words, the Torah, the sacrifices, the tabernacle, and so on was to point us to what was to come. It was a foreshadowing of something greater, but in and of itself, it could not fulfill all of its purposes. For this reason, it can never, by means of the same sacrifices they offer constantly year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshiper cleansed once and for all would no longer have consciousness of sin." In other words, if these atonement sacrifices could have completely atoned for our sins and washed us clean, we would have never needed another one. That one would have been plenty and the rest of our lives we'd be okay. But yet every day, every week, every month, every year, over and over again, year after year, we kept having to bring sacrifices to the tabernacle because we kept failing because we were fallen and sinful. Verse 3, but in these sacrifices is a reminder of sins year after year. In other words, not just forgiveness, but it's there to remind us that we have sin. For it is, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Verse 8, after saying above, uh, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sin, sin offerings you did not desire, nor did you delight in them, those which are uh, offered according to the Torah. Then he said, behold, I come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By his will, <clears throat> we have been made holy through the offering of the body of Messiah Yeshua once 
and for all. Indeed, every Kohen stands day by day serving and offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But on the other hand, when this one offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from then on until his enemies are made his footstools for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those being made holy." The Ruach HaKodesh also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will cut with them after those days, says Adonai, I will put my Torah upon their hearts and upon their minds, I will write it. Then he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And then we go forward, go backward to Romans in closing, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua, for the law of the spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what was impossible for the Torah, since it was weakened on account of the flesh, God has done, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of Torah might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. The Lord says, look, those sacrifices I gave to you because I do want to draw you near. I do want to woo you. I do want to love you. In order for me to be in your presence, in order for you to exist in my presence, your sin has, be, has to be washed away. But that could never do it. Because even though you make those sacrifices, you're going to continue to sin. You're going to continue to need them over and over and over and over again. But they're just a foreshadowing. They're to point you to the sacrifice that matters. And that sacrifice is the once for all atonement sacrifice of Messiah Yeshua, the lamb that was slaughtered for our sins, the lamb that was slaughtered to take away the sins of the world so that never again will another sacrifice have to be made to wash our sins away, but the one offered by God himself, allowing for us to be fully restored. We're awaiting the wedding feast of the lamb. We're awaiting the return of our Messiah when he will gather his spotless bride. The only way we can be a part of that, the only way we can truly be spotless is by the blood of the Lamb of God who was slain for the removal of our sins and the sins of this world. The only way that we can truly impact the world around us is if we walk in that sinless cleansing that God has provided, shining the light of Messiah in the world around us so that the world around us will see what God has done for us and want what we have. If we have to continually go and make that sacrifice over and over and over again, the world is going to look at us and go... But they act holy, they act righteous, they act worthy, but look at them, they're still atoning for it. They're still sinning, thus needing atonement. So how is what they're doing any better than what I'm doing? But when the Lord truly works cleansing in our lives and His Ruach HaKodesh is truly placed in our hearts, our lives should be changed, they should be made different, they should be changed so that the world around us will look at us and want what we have. So the world around us will look at us and recognize that our groom, our Heavenly Father, is awesome. He's merciful, he is glorious, and he loves us. And he wants nothing more than to draw us into himself for all eternity. And he has given his only begotten son that you and I could have eternal life, everlasting life in his midst. Because no earthly sacrifice would ever amount to what that sacrifice made. Because an earthly sacrifice was man atoning for man, which will never work. Sinful man atoning for sinful man. But this was a heavenly sacrifice. This was the perfect God providing a perfect atonement for his imperfect bride that he wants to make spotless, pure, righteous, and holy. And then he calls us, Paul tells us, that that God calls us to be a living sacrifice. 
righteous and holy before him. And the Lord can only accept sacrifices that are what? Pure, spotless, without blemish. If we're to be a living sacrifice, the only way we can be is if we walk in the atonement of Messiah, being pure, spotless, and blemishless before him. Amen. So I want to encourage you today, dig into the word of God. Dig into your relationship with him because he's sitting there wooing you, drawing you. He has given all for you. He has literally laid the life of his only begotten son down that you could have a relationship, a lasting eternal relationship with him, that your sins could be forgiven, not just the sins you have made, but the sins you may be walking in now and the sins you may try to walk in in the future. He wants to cleanse us of all, make us righteous and holy. He wants us to be his. He wants us to experience his love and his uh, righteousness. He wants us to experience his embrace. He wants us to experience his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit. He wants to, us to experience life in Him. And the only way we're going to experience that if we truly understand that His atonement is once and for all and it was given that we could be restored with Him. And then we have to share that restoration with the world around us. Leave your offerings at the door. If your life isn't right, if your heart isn't right with your friend, with your brother, with your neighbor, with your parents, with whoever, leave your offering at the door and go repair that relationship. Show the same grace and mercy you long from the Lord to them, trusting that you have received it from the Lord so you can share it with them. Amen. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we love you, we worship you, and we adore you. Father, I pray that you will continue to reveal yourself to us, that you will continue to move in our hearts and our lives to touch us, to make us more like you, to make us more like our Messiah to use us to impact this world around us, to change this world for the good of your glory and for the name of your kingdom above all else. Father, teach us to walk in your righteousness and holiness that the world around us will see the truth of your light in our lives and be drawn to your presence. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen, amen and Amen.